Ladies and gentlemen, please notice that exits are conveniently located at the front and rear of this auditorium. When leaving the theater, we suggest that the exit at the front of the auditorium will allow you easier access to the parking areas. Thank you. And then as soon as we wanted to watch it on that Forgotten Cinema, it goes to A&E, and I got to pay to rent it. She obliterates his area. He's back up fighting like there's no pain going through there. Lady, you're about five punches to the ball. That too late. guy. There's nothing down yeah. there but dust. That guy needs to be on the floor writhing in pain. Oh, man, he reads a lot. He's such a weird <laughs> man. He's so great. He's so much better than everybody. He is, right? Look oh at that review. Oh, my God. Hi, I'm Mike Butler. And I'm Mike Field. And you're listening to the Forgotten Cinema Podcast. Each episode, we highlight a film that for a variety of reasons was forgotten by audiences. Whether it be because a more popular movie was released at the same time, or the film simply didn't catch on with an audience in its initial run. We'll discuss what we love about the movie, or maybe don't love about it, but we'll always recommend you revisit it. If you enjoy our podcast, we want to hear from you. We're on Instagram and Facebook. Find us. Our podcast is available on all platforms with a backlog of over 150 episodes for your listening pleasure. Awesome. How you doing, Mike? I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm doing well. We are not alone in this oh. uh, in this Wait, podcast. What? I know. We have a special guest. Who, who do we have here? We have John Amenta from the Pint Podcast. What's going uh, on, John? Long time uh, friend of ours. Yes, absolutely. Long time. Yeah, yeah. Long time. Yeah. So, uh, elementary school days. The three of us hanging <laughs> Back out. in the day. Remember that? Remember then? Um, yeah, so yeah. Oh, yeah, for those who may know, sometimes uh, we uh, take over the Pint Podcast uh, and we kind of do our episode on John's uh, podcast. So uh, it's actually, we had a good time. We've actually, we've also guested uh, a couple times on there. Um, and obviously for Forgotten Cinema, it's usually just me and Mike talking to each other, but uh, trying to something a little different, trying to bring some guests on. John is obviously one of those guests uh, for this season 14, hopefully for more seasons to come. So we gave John the option of to choose from our big giant list of movies that Mike and I compile. Giants. Uh, yep. Big, big. It was, it, it, big it's still, wait, did you give John the whole list? Of course. I gave everybody the whole list. Wow. That was the whole point. Wow. Honored. But you I guys also, should be honored. I also <laughs> said, you know, pick that, or if you don't like that, pick whatever you want. So John chose, go ahead, John. Uh, 20, 2005's Serenity. Right. Not the Matthew McConaughey one. I chose the wrong Serenity. Oh my God. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, awesome. <laughs> so me and John will talk about Joss Whedon's Serenity while Mike talks about Matthew McConaughey and Anne Hathaway on a boat. That's all I know. They're in that a movie. simulation for no reason. Is that what's it? That way is that real? God, I didn't watch yeah. this movie. Oh, no, that's a it's, that's entirely real. The movie makes no sense, and then it turns out they're in a simulation. Well, I don't want to watch it now. The movie sucks. You don't want to watch it ever. It's terrible. It's bad. Yeah, I had I had the ending spoiled for me, which not spoiled. I didn't care. <laughs> But someone said, but someone said, you know, at the end, it's all a simulation or all inside someone's head. And I'm like, give me a break. That's (laughs) give me a break. That's that's pretty bad. That's pretty bad. All right. So let me get to the synopsis. I'll get to the facts and we'll get this show on the road. In this continuation of the television series Firefly, a group of rebels travels the outskirts of space aboard their ship. Serenity, outside the reach of the Alliance, a sinister regime that controls most of the universe. After the crew takes in Simon and his psychic sister, River, whom he has just rescued from Alliance forces, they find themselves being pursued by the operative, an Alliance agent who will stop at nothing to find them. I mean, I, we've all watched Firefly, correct? Yes. Okay, so yes. 
I understand the synopsis for people who have not watched Firefly. And I know that there's some inconsistencies because they make it seem like Simon and River were never on the ship ever before. (laughs) (laughs) So, but, you know, it is a little, I mean, I get it because you have to kind of explain some stuff that maybe other people who haven't watched Firefly, which only had 14 episodes, but 11 aired, correct? Correct. Yes. All right. So this movie, Serenity, has a runtime of 119 minutes. It's rated PG-13. Production budget of $39 million. Release date was Friday, September 30th, 2005. Opening weekend, it did $10 million. Domestic, $25.5 million. And worldwide, $40.4. Do those numbers surprise you? They're higher than I would imagine for a show that didn't last any time at all. What do you think, Johnny? you think that's surprising or no? Uh, yeah, I guess maybe a little bit higher. Um, I remember when this movie came out. And I saw it in the theaters like the Tuesday following its release um, or maybe a week after this movie actually came out on my wedding day. The day I got married, <laughs> that was the Friday this was released. I I went on honeymoon. I came back a week later and went with a friend on a Tuesday night and it was me and my and friend. Then, yeah. That was yeah. it. Right. And then the other thing I remember very clearly is being very excited because this is back in 2005. This didn't happen back then. This came out on DVD like two months mm-hmm. later. It was out before Christmas. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this thing, a show that lasted a year, I mean, just the idea that it would even get a movie mm-hmm. is still, it's a little bit more normal nowadays, I guess, for stuff to be finished off like that. I, yeah. But back then it was very odd. I wouldn't be, this is the type of show or type of movie that, that like if, if the studio didn't want to do, they would crowdfund maybe. And it would probably mm-hmm. get like a ton oh, of money yeah. for it. But yeah, no. Uh, yeah, I mean, it. I mean, usually when we talk about the production budget, we don't, it's not including uh, promotion. And you obviously, it's usually the same. If it's a production budget, 39 million promotions uh, as close to that as well. So this movie, I, I don't have any DVD numbers or anything like that. So I'm wondering if this movie is in the black or not. Uh, but yeah, who knows? Production company was Universal Pictures and Barry Mendel Productions, and it was distributed by Universal Pictures. Director, uh, written and directed by Joss Whedon. Oh, actually, you know what? Let me go to uh, let me go to the other movie releases. I skipped that. As always, I always skip that, Butler. What is my problem? Come on, man. I know, right? So I said it came out on the 30th uh, uh, when John got married. Uh, <laughs> and, and, it, and it went up against in a wide release. These are the other films that John missed that weekend. Into the Blue, The Greatest Game Ever Played, A History of Violence, and Oliver Twist, and a limited release, Capote, and the prize winner of Defiance, Ohio. Now, I know, I think, I believe we all know A History of Violence, correct? We all know that movie? Okay. Well, yes. Great, great film. Did you, have you guys seen Capote? Yeah, I have seen Capote. I've never seen I have Capote. Seen, uh, Capote's actually, um, it's really good. It was with uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman uh, as uh, Capote. Uh, it's, uh, I've actually seen Into the Blue as well. That's the, um, that's the surfing movie, right? Yeah, with um, Paul... Paul Walker, Paul Walker and Jessica Alba. Oh, so that's that's not that's not the, that's when they're they're treasure hunting, is it? Is there something like that they get in trouble? Yeah, yeah. I, I've never seen it, but it's a treasure hunting. Isn't movie. that the one where they're like walking on the bottom of the ocean in, in that poster or one of the trailers or something like that? Like the just poster, kinda... they're on their boat, but they're both like, "Hey, look at us! We're fit and young and in our bikinis." Interesting. Yeah. Were, yeah. That's actually they're saying that. That's exactly what they're saying. They're just cut out because it's a still image, but that's what they say (laughs) as the photo's taken. Interesting. All right. So this the week after the 7th of October, you had a wide release of Wallace and Gromit, The Curse of the Were-Rabbit and In Her Shoes. 
Two for the Money and Waiting and The Gospel. So I think we've seen a couple of those films. You also had a limited release of Good Night and Good Luck, which I like quite a bit, and Where the Truth Lies. The week before, the 23rd of September, in a wide release, you had Flight Plan, the Jodie Foster daughter hidden on a plane movie, uh, Roll Bounce, and Corpse Bride. That is the animated film. And a limited release, Dear Wendy and Daltrey Calhoun. Now, Daltrey Calhoun is Johnny Knoxville. I did never saw that movie. I remember hearing about it but I couldn't tell you what it's about. No, I, I've heard of it. Yeah. And, and in case my wife listens to this episode, I have in to, case. Uh, apparently, uh, apparently uh, I was wrong. I was married on October right. 7th. So I must've seen this must've, I must've seen this the week before my wedding. And it was, but no matter <laughs> what, it was a few days after it came out and it was empty as shit. So well, if you don't want to get in trouble, make sure she doesn't listen to this episode or Butler can edit it all that out for you. Absolutely, absolutely. That's yeah. all good. <laughs> uh, we got your back, John. All right. So, like I said before, and I'll say it again, this movie was written and directed by Joss Whedon. Uh, he's directed such films as The Avengers, Much Ado About Nothing, The Cabin in the Woods, and he's responsible for the TV shows Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Angel, and Dollhouse, to name a few. He is also a nominee, an Academy Award nominated writer for the movie Toy Story. He's also written Alien Resurrection and Titan AE, another episode that we did on Forgotten Cinema uh, a couple seasons ago. Cinematography was Jack Green, who was nominated for an Oscar for Unforgiven. He's also done Twister and The Bridges of Madison County. Composer was David Newman, who was also nominated for an Oscar for Anastasia. He's also done the two the Scooby-Doo films, the newer ones, the live action ones, Death the Smoochie, and a movie that John chose for us in season five, The Phantom. I don't know if John knew that. Uh, I, I know I chose it for you. I didn't know that yeah, fact. Nice. But. <laughs> Edited by Lisa Lasik, who'd done Bad Times at the El Royale, which is an episode we did. She's also done The Avengers and The Circle. Producer is Barry Mendel, who's done Unbreakable, Munich, which is an awesome film, Bridesmaids, and uh, the more recent movie, The Bubble, which is not an awesome film. Um, this movie's got a big, big cast, which is odd. I didn't think it, I mean, I knew it had the, the cast from the show, but I'm, I started writing it out. I'm like, oh my God, that's a lot of people. That's a lot of facts I got to look up. <laughs> Uh, so you had Nathan Fillion as Mal. Uh, he's from Slither, Waitress, the TV show Castle, and the TV show The Rookie. Do you think that I now I always think of this show, this movie, and this Firefly and Serenity in terms of Nathan Fillion. But I would assume that most people will think of him as Castle. What, what would you guys think of that? At this point, yeah. probably because, yeah, I think I think 15, 18 years ago it was Firefly. But then, you know, he, he had a lot of success. Uh, Castle lasted 104 seasons, I think. <laughs> and the rookie is going strong. I, I've never watched an episode of either one, um, but he's one of those guys that I like him so much. I'm just, I'm happy that he's out there and doing well. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Happy that he's out there doing I'll well. I'll never be happy that he never did the Uncharted movie. Well, that's like not his, he, that's not he his is fault. what Nathan Drake is based on. So whenever I see him, I go, oh, you would have made such a good Nathan Drake. <laughs> yeah. What are you, you going to do? But, I used to watch Castle John and I stopped after a while because it just came, it was repetitive. And then I started, I started right. reading, I can't remember the actress's name, but I guess there was problems with her. Like she was causing issues and she didn't want to be on the show anymore. And she was trying to force herself off. So then I was just like, I'm not going back to Castle, but um, they're spinning off the rookie. Cause I was looking at the credits and I guess the rookie's getting a spinoff. So it's doing well enough to spin off other shows. <laughs> hey, good. Good for like, yes, yeah, yeah. good for him. I've always liked him. He's, he, there's just something really endearing about him. I liked him way back when he was on a show with a young Ryan yep. Reynolds, uh, two guys, a girl. Oh, that was a great place. show. Yep. 
Absolutely. Gina Torres as Zoe. She's on the TV show Suits. She's also in The Matrix Reloaded and Revolutions. Uh, and she's in the new show 911 Lone Star, the TV show there. Alan Tudyk as Wash. He's from Dodgeball, A Knight's Tale, and the TV show Resident Alien. Uh, Marina Baccarin is Anara. She's in The Two Deadpools. She plays, uh, I guess, his wife. He, they, they're married in that, I guess. I'm yeah. not sure. Yep. Mm-hmm. She's also in Greenland, but I, she's also on the TV show Gotham. I don't watch Gotham. Do you guys watch Gotham? She was his. She was uh, somebody on Gotham. She ended up marrying the guy who played Gordon. Oh, in real life. In real life, yeah. Oh, cool. Well, good it's not a good show. I don't watch it. <laughs> no, it's garbage. Is it? It's not canceled though. It's still going on, right? No, it's it's done. It's done. Oh, it, oh, it did it. And it went longer it than it needed to be. <laughs> Adam Baldwin as Jane from Independence Day. Uh, the Patriot and American Underdog. Uh, Jewel State as Kaylee from the TV show Family Law. She, I didn't realize she was in a season of The Killing, which I watched. I'm kind of upset about that. And Butler, she is in the Quantum Leap reboot. I saw that. So you a have little, to watch the Quantum no, Leap reboot. No, I'm not. I'm not Jewel watching the Jewel State's in it. She's no. from Firefly, which you like Firefly. Crap. Quantum Leap is in it. Quantum Leap, Jewel nope. State, Fire. Uh, you nope. have to watch it. I don't have to watch anything. The stars no. are aligning. No, you have to no, watch it. I'm not watching that. You have to finish <laughs> Sam Beckett's story. I don't, I don't want to hear this. Sam Maris, Simon. He is the voice of Nightwing for all the DC animated shows. I didn't know if you guys knew that. I know you're more into that stuff than I am. Yeah, all of his credits are, he's got all these like DC animated credits and they're all just Nightwing. So he's just a voice of Nightwing. Uh, he's also in uh, the TV show The Street, uh, which came out a while ago. Uh, Summer I remember Glamour. seeing What's that up? pilot. I remember oh, that pilot. Of The Street? Of The Street, yeah. Oh. Got canceled. It was actually pretty gritty for its time back in like 1999 or whatever. Nice. Summer Glau is River. She's from the TV show The Terminator, excuse me, Terminator the Sarah Connor Chronicles, TV show The Cape and Knights of Badassdom. Ron Glass is Shepherd Book. Uh, I guarantee you nobody realizes that he's in the TV show Barney Miller. <laughs> oh, yeah. Nope. Yeah. What's up? No, I don't you're saying nope. Oh, no. gotcha. Yeah. He's also in Death at a Funeral and Lakeview Terrace. Uh, I'm gonna get the operative names wrong. Mike, how do you say this guy's name? Chiwetel Ejiofor. There you go. He's the he's he's the operative. He's nominated for an Oscar for Twelve Years a Slave. He's also in the two Doctor Strange films and the TV show The Man Who Fell to Earth, which actually is on Showtime. I think we were talking about that pre recording, John. So he's on that as well. David Crumholtz as Mister Universe, the TV show Numbers, the Santa Claus series, and Hail Caesar. And then you have a couple people in the background that. No, not really. I don't think there were names at this point. Like Sarah Paulson plays Dr. Karen, who's the doctor in the video, or uh, you also Tamara Taylor as a teacher who's in TV show Bones. And you also had Glenn Howerton as uh yeah. I didn't say yep. Yeah, as I didn't as his name in this is Lilac Young Tough. I don't know what that means. And he, he's also obviously from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia and AP Bio, uh, two TV shows, but I didn't realize it was him. Until I heard his voice, and when he was like, when he was calling for them to take him, I don't know oh, why. I, I knew as soon that. as he was down on the ground, going like, <laughs> I may no, I just <laughs> didn't. Hands maybe I head. just didn't recognize his face. Too, it was so because it's a quick moment when they go down to him, and and I just, but then when I heard him yelling, I'm like, wait a minute, that's Dennis. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I thought that was interesting. Okay, so we've all seen this film. I know we have. I know we all mm-hmm. like it. This is probably going to end up being a love fest and we're going to probably at the end of this, we'll have to defend why we're saying it's forgotten. So that prepare for that. But um, <laughs> So I, we've all seen this multiple times. I'm, I'm curious. I don't, I, I'm not going to ask you, Hey, what'd you guys think? Because I know you liked it, but I'm definitely curious if in this viewing for this episode, if there was something new that popped up to you 
while you're watching it that you didn't really consider before. Of course, I'm going to start with my guest, John. Go ahead, John. Let me let me know what you think. I have one and uh, I, I feel almost dumb thinking of this for the first time ever. But so, yeah, I've seen this movie multiple times throughout the years. Why didn't the Alliance just nuke that planet? Why, <laughs> why did they leave? Like, all, like here, it's a planet full of evidence. And like, we will go to any length mm-hmm. to stop anybody from knowing about it, except for destroying the facilities, getting rid of the bodies, uh, making sure no hologram messages work anymore. We're not doing any of that mm-hmm. stuff, but we'll do everything else. I, it was the first time I, you know, again, I felt like, is this something people have been talking about for years that I just didn't pick up on? But as soon as I, and I think it's a testament to how good this movie is and how much you care about the characters in it. And because you're, you know, you're invested from the show that you let a plot point like that just drive through a truck sized hole. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, and that's something, uh, in terms of like Spielberg, just to kind of bring him up, a lot of people, he makes a lot of mistakes in camera, but people don't realize it because the storytelling is so well done. Um, and right. you're right. Joss Whedon is a really good storyteller. Um, and I think that goes to that point, what you're saying. But yes, I had I also had that thought. If the Reavers were, if the Alliance, if the Alliance knew that they had made the Reavers and I go back to Firefly, why don't they, why are they never trying to take them out? Like if they're all just hanging out between Miranda and the furthest outer planet there is, why aren't they trying to take them out? Now, maybe because they don't want to you know, bring attention to that, uh, to them. Maybe they don't want people to realize that that's, you know, once they start, cause they're hiding Miranda, they never, they don't want anyone to know about this planet. So if they start hunting the Reavers down, which are all hanging out around Miranda, maybe that'll bring to light. Oh, wait a minute. There's a planet here. What's going on here? So there's, their argument could be made for that, but that wasn't, that was a point that I thought of as well, John. So that, that makes sense. Mike, did you, it was anything different that you thought? I honestly, it's just a small thing, but I forgot the whole entire series and the film took place in one solar system. When they introduced that, I was like, wow, I forgot that. I thought it takes place just, you know, in the galaxy, but they're really only dealing with a small solar system, which you don't usually get in a lot of shows, which is like, this is the system. This is where they all live. It's a much more kind of like the expanse, a much more insulated kind of storytelling. And I always thought they went everywhere, which doesn't really change anything, but I thought it was very interesting in that they're all stuck in this one solar system together. Do either of you remember if they, they give that explanation uh, at the beginning of the movie somewhere in Firefly, how like, you know, earth is overcrowded. So people left the earth to go to the solar system as you're talking about to go, do they ever, so that's brand new, right? For this movie. I, I, I don't think so. And also, even if they did, the episodes were run out of order. Right. And so, so it, it, maybe if they did, it was four episodes in and people never picked that up. I, I feel like they didn't. And then they said, well, you know, let's, we have a chance now to bring in a new audience and give them a real quick, like two minute, like update on what this is about. And, you know, and then we'll go from there. But I don't think there was ever anything said in the show. I've seen the show all the way through maybe two times and I watched most of it and it's an original run and I don't remember that. So that brings me to my next point. How is it, how important is it that we watch the show Firefly? I mean, does it hurt does, if we watch this film without watching the show, how much of that affects our, uh, our, our opinion on the movie? Uh, I'm curious, uh, like, what do you guys think of that? 
I don't think it hurts too much. I think it hurts in certain places very much, though. I think your enjoyment of the movie can still be had, but I think there are certain moments in terms of like maybe Inara, in terms of certain character relationships, definitely you don't get. And you're just like, why is she here? What is this happening? Uh, There are certain things they don't do very well. Book doesn't make much sense, uh, but he makes a little bit more sense than Inara. But by separating them and having Anara be separated and having Book be separated, you create this separation of them being part of the crew anymore. And people that aren't part of the fan base watching the show are going to say, I don't understand who they are. I don't understand why I care, which is maybe why they, and we'll get into it, pointlessly kill Wash for no reason, because you don't get that kind of reaction when they kill Book for the regular audience. Well, Wash and Book died because they wouldn't commit to a sequel. That's why they died. So basically Universal Stupid Pictures bastards. was like Universal <laughs> Pictures was like, listen, we want the entire cast uh commit to a sequel because because the idea was they wanted to make sequels and and Washington Book couldn't, uh the two characters Glass and Tuda couldn't do it, so they had to kill him off. So that's why they died. <laughs> like they're making so like they're making so much money at this point in their well, I mean, yeah, maybe book, but they might have had other projects. Yeah, Ron Glass is uh, he passed away in twenty sixteen. So he's obviously much older. So maybe he wanted to retire and Tudyk probably was getting busy doing other stuff. I mean, this was a big gamble. Yeah. Tudyk was definitely, you know, uh, this was around the time of dodgeball, you know, he was getting Mm -hmm. into more things at that point. This is probably like the beginning of, you know, his, his rise to Mm -hmm. popularity, but yeah, I agree with Mike on that. I think you can watch this movie and never have seen the show before but especially in some of the character building things, the relationships, you're not going to get it as well, but I'll give the movie credit. Like the Anara and Mal thing, you get it. You, you get it in the movie that they have this kind of like forbidden love or forbidden feelings for each other that they've never laid out there. You get it just from watching the movie, but it's so much better when you go back to the show and see it for you know, 11 or 14 episodes mm-hmm. building. Yeah. And I think to Mike's point as well is, is I think the wash death is, is a little shocking because you think they, at the end of the movie, you think that they survived, you know, they, he, they made it. And then all of a sudden it's like really sudden and it kind of kicks off almost like the final act, final part of the third act where they're just running away from the reavers. And so I think that works there. I think where, and you're right about Anara. I agree with that as well. I think where it fails a little bit is books death because it's sad and poignant, but, it, that's because we've seen him in the show and he was on the ship and he was an integral, integral part of the crew in the movie. They stay, they go to him once and then twice. And then he's, you know, they go to him once, then he's dead. And it's just kind of mm-hmm. like, it's sad, but it's not as affecting emotionally for someone who hasn't watched the series, I think. So I think that that death maybe falls flat a little in terms of impact. If you never saw Firefly. It, it falls flat maybe for the, viewers impact in terms of like i don't feel for this guy but it works in the the story because that's the point where mal turns and says you know we're done enough this is what we're doing if you don't do this with me leave now or i'm gonna shoot you you know what i mean like that that i think that's where it 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 lands in the storytelling but you're right in in terms of like as a viewer it it's not as even even for a longtime viewer, because he's only in just a couple scenes and you kind of get the feeling the first time you see it, that they're setting it up, that something's going to happen to him. You know, they make it very clear that the operative is going to kill everybody that helps Mal. They say that at one point. So as soon as they go and they stay there, you're like, he's going to kill everybody here. So it's not really shocking. 
um, Wash's death is shocking, but it's also a jump scare. You know what right, I mean? Like right. it's, it's supposed to be. Uh, you know, it's funny that uh, you, that reminds me of one of the lines I like in the movie is when uh, Mal and the operative are talking. The mouse like, "I don't kill children." He's like, "I do." I'm like, "Oof!" Like the oh, operative's yeah. a really cool character, and I would make an argument that I would have wouldn't mind a spinoff movie from him or a spinoff mm-hmm. from like what he goes and does because I, he's a great actor, but also it's a really really interesting character, and it, you almost get the start of like him losing his his faith in himself and what he does and what he believes in that that's compelling enough to be like i'd like to follow his story um you know but that never happened <laughs> i think this is what made me think chiwetel Ejiofor is like the one of the greatest actors of this new generation of actors i think his story arc in this is incredible when i first saw this even back when i was in high school i was like that's that's acting right there like i thought that was like like i know it's a sci-fi movie it's never going to get nominated but like it's oscar worthy his performance is oscar worthy in this movie his dedication to his dialogue and his character is so good and his character is so interesting every line he speaks i wrote down as a note as something like that i love like his lines and how joss whedon uh wrote him as a villain he is such an interesting interesting villain uh before we move on i want to go back to i agree with you mike but before we move on i want to go back to what we're talking about in terms of if you need to see the show would something impact like book's death and and uh wash's death also one other moment that i didn't think of was um simon and kaylee finally getting together at the end of the movie like that was a big thing in firefly their you know kind of sam and diane romance kind of kind of thing for anyone who it's a cheers reference uh so you know the fact that they do get together at the end of the movie I think that that's another thing that really doesn't have as much as an impact if you didn't watch the show. I thought, I, I don't know what you guys think of that. Cause that was a big, big thing in the show. I think the movie does a pretty good job of, of Kaylee saying it over and over again, how much she wants him to stay, yeah. how much she wants to be with him. And at the end, even at the end when he admits that, you know, Simon admits, you know, I've had to put off so many things, including being with the people I want to be with like you. And she goes like, sex stuff and he's like that's funny yeah yeah. and she goes i screwed this i want to live and it's like that's payoff for even the casual audience like you know she pines for him and him telling her that and her line delivery at the end is just like all right i'm good that's good and then she gets shot with the reanimator juice in her neck (laughs) (laughs) that's another like minor minor problem i have with this movie Uh, and i'm happy for them at the end but the these odds they face and they all get shot up and, and they all get like really hurt is that nobody else dies at the end of this movie. Like one more death would have been I, I don't you know. And again, obviously, we've never had anything else. and We're not going to have anything else. Serenity wise, I don't want any of these characters to die, but it just would have felt a little bit more impactful if like during this final battle one more of them goes because they all like they shot in the head or shot in the <laughs> stomach, uh, you know, reanimator juice in the neck. They're all getting messed up and they oh, all wait, talking it. about Mr. Universe dies and they bury him with these two. I mean, like that was the other thing at the end of the movie, the two main characters are buried and then they, he, they're buried with Mr. Universe. We just met this guy. Get this guy out of here. <laughs> <laughs> well, honestly, what are you going to do? Fly all over the planet to find another spot for him. Don't just, put him in space. Him there. Here's my question. <laughs> if they're being book on this planet, that means books, one of those five, guys tied up on the front of their ship at the beginning oh yeah that's fine listen that's <laughs> he's one get, of those skeletons let's get to that because what do you guys think of uh wartime mal in terms of his turn at the end of the movie when and john mentioned it before or uh how you know you or mike i don't know if you mentioned it about how he just turns you know 
completely like once the book dies, he just completely and they're like, they all want to leave and he threatens to shoot them. What do you guys think of wartime Mal? I, I like it. I, I think it harkens back to stuff that we heard of in the show. You know, like, you know, you never saw him in the show as the commander of the brown coats and all that stuff, but they've made it clear that he's done bad things during war. Everybody does bad things during war, but they've made it clear that he's not the same guy, you know, when they were at war. And I, I like the fact that they, you know, he, he's fighting this fight and he has to make a decision and it's become way too personal. And, you know, the operative has gone beyond anything he thought he would go to. He killed kids, he killed book, and he's going to do whatever he's got to do to get the answers and to end this all. Uh, and I, I felt like that was showing that that's what he probably was like as a commander. He's just very hard nosed and very, you know, very go right mm -hmm. at it. I totally agree. I think you see hints of that throughout the series, throughout the movie. You see hints of him wanting but also not wanting to go over that line so once he gets to that point you see that actually happen he no longer cares the only thing that keeps him from ever going off that line are his crew and as soon as it happens with book he could care less as soon as they kill kids and as soon as he talks a little bit with the operative it's it's game over you're talking to the same mal i think you've seen bits and pieces of but now this is his reaction wholly is we're gonna get this job done we're gonna prove that you know the alliance is bad I no longer care about making money. I want to bring down the Alliance again. Yeah. Well, his mentality is to just leave me alone. Let me do what I want to do. Leave me alone. I don't want Alliance interference, but then that turns obviously when they strike and it, now it's like, okay, fine. Well now I'm going to go after you like that. I, that's probably where you're seeing that. And that's great. And that has everything to do with one of the things that's very strong in this film. And we briefly talked about it before is, is the writing is the, is the writing and character building are so good in this film because all the characters have their own voices. And it's not just the fact that they don't get along all the time in terms of Jane and, and, and Mal and, and Zoe and they're all fighting and they just, but they're arguing all the time. They all have their own viewpoints. Nobody is like they're together because they sort of believe in the same cause, but they don't necessarily believe on, on how to live their lives or how to, you know, go about doing things. And I think that this movie is a great example of solid writing and solid character building. Um, uh, you know, I just, uh, it's, I know that's a Joss Whedon thing. I, and and I, I do like Joss Whedon in terms of as a writer. Um, I do because he does stuff in his writing where, you know, like, for instance, when Mal meets the operative and they, and they, have, they have this conversation and the operative's like, I'm not armed. And he's like, good. And he just shoots him like stuff mm -hmm. moments like that. That makes sense. Where like where you when you're watching a, sh a movie where you would be like, I would have done that. Why didn't you shoot him? And like, so I, that's something I appreciate with Whedon's writing. What do you guys think about uh, the character building in this movie and the storytelling aspect of this film and, and how it was uh, how it was executed? I, I think it's great. I it's strong. I mean, my buddy who I saw this with in the theaters did not see the show. So he went in, saw this blind and then immediately went and bought the show and watched it. So, I mean, I think that's the answer right there. If if you could take a two hour movie, that's a property that you know nothing about and you can gain someone's interest enough to go back and delve into the stuff prior. And my buddy wasn't like an anomaly. A lot of people did this. You know, uh, Firefly came out in 2002 and ended in 2003. I think this was 2005. And I bet you if you go back and look at the DVD sales in 2005 and six, they were way up. You know, uh, because people, you know, they wanted to check that out. There have been other things that have come out. I can't think of any off the top of my head, 
that just don't garner that interest, you know, and they just kind of go away and die. Uh, and this has a, a built-in fan base from the TV show. Uh, and I've never heard anybody say, oh, I hate Serenity or oh, Serenity was such a disappointment. It, this is a universally beloved movie, especially amongst the fan base. That's that's a pretty good indicator. Um, you know, and the first season, the only season of Firefly is universally beloved. Now, if we diluted it more, and even even Fillion has said this in interviews and Joss Whedon, if they went past season one, who knows? It might have slowly not been as good. And if they had gone further, you know, into further movies, it may not not been as good. But this one movie in particular, they got it all right, I think. I think the character building is great. I think the plot is an extension of the show. You know, you're getting this origin story of the Reavers, basically, and it's involving all the elements that we saw in the show. And it's keeping it very simple. It works. The story of the Reavers was the subplot was going to be the season two finale of uh, Firefly if it ever got to two seasons. So he already had that idea. Uh, so he already knew where the Reavers came from. So I thought that was interesting. Uh, Firefly's biggest mistake was being on Fox because Fox doesn't believe in anything unless it's a huge major hit. Uh, mm-hmm. Otherwise, they cancel it right off the bat. And Fox is notorious for that. Right. And I, I mean, I, I don't. That's why because Fox just didn't believe in it. But Fox is also notorious for taking risks. And I don't know if CW, NBC, ABC, or CBS would have picked this up. It would. It, this is another conversation for. Um, this would is this a be successful on a streamer. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Streaming world, how successful would this be? And I don't want to see Netflix pony up a bunch of money so I can see all these people come back <laughs> and, and and just be like, Ugh, you know. Well, odds are that's not going to happen because of all the stuff surrounding Joss Whedon outside of filmmaking and and storytelling. Um, yeah, I don't think you're ever going to see that again. Who knows? I don't want to see it again. Uh, you know. I think this movie mm-hmm. capped it off. And in all honesty, I don't even uh, read them myself. But if you're a fan of Firefly and Serenity, there's ongoing comic series. I think Dark Horse does them um, that have delved into other characters. I've read a few of them. They're pretty good. But I mean, there's still stuff coming out now. So there's still plenty. There's novels. There's still plenty of, you know, uh, of that stuff going on if you're into that expanded universe stuff. But, you know, it's 17 years later. I. I don't know. I don't want to say it couldn't work because things have worked coming back that long later. But at this point, I'm okay. You with would watch it, but mm-hmm. I agree with I agree with you. But you would watch it. I would watch it, but then if it was if it wasn't good, I'd be. I would just be like, "Why mm-hmm. did we do that? Why of was course. that done?" Yeah. I think you could still do this. None of the original characters. You'd have to create new memorable characters, but put it in the same universe. One of the things I like about this movie, which I find oh, as I was watching it this time, which didn't come up the first couple times I watched it, was this is a Han Solo movie much more than the Han oh, Solo yeah. movie. I'm like, what? This is a great Han Solo. Why haven't they ever done a Han Solo movie? And then it came to wait. They did do a Han Solo movie. I just forgot about it. This is the Han Solo movie. Well, we talk about all the time, uh, both on and off the podcast, about how um, comp- they're they're always looking for new IPs. They're always looking for new, new Star Wars, new new IPs to build off of. And he, this, the character of Malrons would have been a perfect, uh, you know, character to build off from uh, mm-hmm. and create a whole. It, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, so you know, it, maybe it's just ahead of its time, sort of thing. Because I definitely think one of the things I noted was that I don't think the CGI special effects hold up as much. Yeah, I had the uh, same note. It's thirty nine. It's a thirty nine million oh, yeah. dollar budget, so it doesn't have enough uh, to kind of put into CGI. They had to rebuild the set because the fire, the original Firefly set, was destroyed 
So they had to rebuild the ship set from, from scratch based on photos that Filiana had taken of the blueprints. <laughs> and, and so, you know, so money went into that. So, um, it, it was kind of hampered in that regard. I definitely thought CJ didn't hold up. Um, uh, but I going feel back, like go ahead. They did a good job in terms of like hiding that though. Mm-hmm. There are a few sure. more, like the space special effects are what they are. They did. I think they did a really good job at only using as much in planet CGI as they needed to, that it kept your attention. There's a lot of sets, practical effects and stuff like that. They kept it very low key, which I liked. I think the space stuff is pretty good. Like when you have like the, the mm-hmm. Reaver fleet and the Alliance fleet coming at each other. I think that yep. looks pretty good. But then early in the movie, when they're um, doing the mission on the planet, when the Reaver like hovercraft is chasing after them with all the black smoke, it looks mm-hmm. so bad, like that hovercraft. And then you could also tell it's not CGI, but you could also tell like when they're on their little skiff, like there's some really close up shots. Like you can tell they're not they're They're probably stationary and not trying yeah. to show the whole thing because they don't. There's there's a few in that early section that definitely feel like we don't have the budget to do all this correctly. So, but you know what? It, again, you're so involved in the story, even in the first 15 minutes that you're kind of like, I don't care. It's fine. <laughs> well, I, I, I don't, I don't think I wrote the note down, but the note that I read about the, that ship was that it's, it's on like a trailer uh, so that they can move it and they're shaking it as they're going along. So they try to do as much practical as you talk about as possible to avoid the CGI looking as it did, but you know, some things you got to do CGI. I also, the, one of the, when they're at the planet that Anar is at the, the green screen is really noticeable when they're walking up the steps and you see yep. like the, yeah, I'm just like, oof. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can I also, before I forget, can I also call out one of the strangest lines in a movie that I've heard in a long time is in the beginning when the teacher is teaching everybody river and her class. And then the Reavers get brought up and that one little kid's like, and they rape you for hours and hours and hours. I'm like, that's just, odd. That's just a very odd thing for even a future kid to say. That was a little difficult. <laughs> um, so going back to the comics, John, I didn't know that the comics are still going on because I do have a note about the comic serenity that those left behind that bridges the six month gap between the end of Firefly, the last episode of the series objects yep. in space and this movie. So uh, it's like a three yeah. issue comic book set that came out. Did you read that? Did you read that one? Yeah. Yes. A long time ago. I read that. Uh, I've read a few of the other one shots they did. There was a ongoing going on in the last couple of years. I don't know if it's still going on. And then they did a, uh, a shepherd book, uh, miniseries, which I believe I'm 99.9% sure it was either in that in that comic series or in the novels that you found out he was an operative. That's kind of why his conversation with Mal talking about the operatives uh, is a little bit more charged. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of comic stuff out there. Okay. All right. I didn't know. I didn't know that the comics were still going on, uh, but that's interesting. Hmm. Maybe I'll. I will never check it out, but that's still interesting. <laughs> uh, going back to the budget, well, one of my notes here is that the original budget was going to be a hundred million dollars, and but Universal wanted to shoot the movie abroad to lower the cost, and then Whedon was like, "No, I don't. Let's do it locally," uh, and lowered the budget. So that's where you get the thirty-nine million for. So they were going to have more money, maybe not, maybe not a hundred million. I mean, I don't know where overseas they're shooting: Australia, New Zealand, uh, you know, one of the Baltic regions, uh, you know, where it's cheap. Uh, maybe maybe they would have had a little bit more money. So I thought that was interesting. I think it fit the budget. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think there was, like we said, nothing super glaring. I think the most glaring thing maybe in the movie 
that might be indicative of the budget a little bit is that we never really, and, or maybe it's just a, a filmmaking choice. We never really see the Reavers head on for mm-hmm. long. Now, was that because we're trying to just go like, these guys are like so terrifying. Like you're, we're just going to give you glance shots. So it's like in your head, what do they look like? Or was it this makeup is so bad and we're reusing it over and over again that we don't want to show. I you think for it's very the latter. Long. I think. Yeah. yeah. yeah they, probably, they did the same thing that. on the TV show as well. It's like you can't describe yeah. someone en masse as being so terrifying and then show them and having the makeup be terrible. Right. And the way they describe them is so bad that there's no way those things could live in real life. So you've got to kind of pull back a little bit. Well, plus the way also, they describe yeah. them on the show is just like, mm-hmm. how can you survive and still be alive when you do that to yourself? They also, maybe they won't live up to the expectation uh, that yeah, we have true. as an audience. So maybe they try to make them as elusive as an appearance as possible so you so you don't kind of get disappointed and be like oh that's stupid i'm sure somebody out there has you know, frozen the frames and you know ripped into it a bunch of times so bad hellraiser bad guys Ugh. <laughs> did you guys re- i didn't realize this but the opening credit shot was a four minute one shot with one hidden cut did you get that when with all the credits yeah i guess it's a it's a shot throughout the entire ship set when they have all the cask and stuff like that and they're giving out the names there's one shot that had to have one cut that's hidden because this, the, the, the set goes to a different, like a different level. So they had to move the camera. But yeah, it's supposed to be one four minute shot. Uh, so if you ever go back to that, check it out. Hmm. Something I noticed that I, I'm wondering, I'd have to look it up and I probably know the answer to this from years ago. But when the Reavers ship crashes into uh, Firefly in the beginning where they're getting away and, and they have to Jane and, and um Jewel State's character. Oh, what the hell's her name? Oh, Kaylee. Kaylee. When they're going through the wreckage, I think she picks up the part that they needed in the episode when they were out of, it was called Out of Gas. Do you remember it Out of Gas when the ship died and it starts with Mal on the ground and he has to try to fix mm-hmm. the ship? Yes. Do you remember that one? There's one part in particular that they have to try to repair and they can't, they can't find a, an extra one. I'm fairly certain she's holding a, one of those parts like it came off the Reaver <laughs> ship and then she throws it into the bin. And I, I, I could be wrong. Some nerdy Firefly super fan is going to gonna get all over you guys about that. But I think oh, that's you're, you're not a true brown coat, John. <laughs> I'm wearing a brown coat. That's, that's a good catch, though. I didn't I didn't catch that that moment. Now, now I kind of want to go back and I didn't see anything in the notes. There's nothing in any kind of. Uh, notes that say anything about that. So uh, maybe good catch, John. Good I'm catch. Dig, dig in, dig in, John. I'm going to dig in. <laughs> One of the notes about the movie that I thought would have been interesting to bring up, um, or notes on the show that I thought would have been interesting to bring up during the movie is that Inara is dying, that she's got a uh, a disease and she's slowly, you know, going eventually to pass away. And I thought that would have been an interesting angle to bring up during the movie at some point to make her and Mal's relationship a little bit more maybe heartbreaking or a little bit more interesting than it is like just kind of like there in the film that I thought they maybe could have done something a little bit more with that or kind of told, you know, the faithful viewers that have been watching for 11 episodes or so. Hey, by the way, this is what Inara has been hiding from Mal the whole time. She's dying. <laughs> what, what episode was that in Butler? Do you remember? They never explained it. It was meant to be explained. Okay. All right. Um, but they do hint at it in other episodes. If you go back through episodes, they have this, they hint at that she's got something going on and it is that she's dying and she's trying to hide it from people. What do you guys think of the score, the music? What do you guys think of that? They didn't use the theme song and I'm very mad about that. <laughs> I'm with you a hundred fucking percent. 
Like you can't just bring it up during the credits. Come on. Did you watch the whole yeah. credits to see if there was in there? I did. They kind of like do this riff on the guitar at the very end toward the end. And it definitely is a bit of a riff on the theme song, but it's, it's way out there. It's just, mm. come on. Can, you know, you know what? Like we had the, the new catchphrase that at the time when this movie came out, I remember it being on t-shirts and it was like the catchphrase of the movie was can't stop mm-hmm. the signal. And that's something that Mr. Universe says. I just, you know what you could have done? You could have had a scene where Mal said, like, you can't take yep. the sky from me. And that would have been enough. That would have been enough for us to go, ah, it's from it's the fucking the thing. song. But they didn't do it. <laughs> well, Newman wasn't the original composer from the show. They couldn't get him. And I can't remember his name. And and they actually were going to have Carter Burwell use do um, the music. But then the uh, Whedon and him couldn't agree on like they, he had to leave the project because they just, just couldn't get together. So Newman was recommended by Universal. Uh, so, um, but I guess it worked out. But yeah, man, I don't know. Maybe, maybe they just. I, I mean, I would think they'd have the rights to the original, to the original theme. Maybe they just didn't want. Maybe they maybe wanted to make it different. I don't know. That's a good point, though. The rest of the music was worked. It was Western and charming during the uh, the first, you know, not shootout, and they're the first heist. Mm-hmm. Even when the Reavers were after them. And then it got slowly more kind of epic filmic as they went on. And I think that's another thing that hurt the TV show, I would say. And, you know, I'll, I'll probably get some flack from this from people that really like Firefly. But I think focusing on that Southern cow stuff wasn't as interesting as kind of mixing the two worlds, the modern and the the past. And I thought a lot of the episodes, maybe to save money, maybe because they liked that theming, focused a little too much on. I'm a cowboy, like a real old cowboy, mm-hmm. uh, but I got jetpacks. I, I feel like that didn't that didn't quite <laughs> jive, and I think the movie did a much better job combining those two worlds than the uh, TV show ever did. Well, Not to say I don't love the TV show because I've watched it probably four or five times straight, but. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of my notes here is that many of the weapons are based on paintball markers. Uh, with the propellant tank mount point at the bottom of the rear grip and the expansion chamber style foregrip. So my question is, was that also that way in the show? Or is it, is it, do you remember if this is just for the movie? I mean, his gun, Mal's guns is pretty much the same. Yeah. I was going to say Mal's gun, the only gun I really remember looking at. Right. Yeah. I almost feel like you see a lot more guns in the movie than you did Maybe, on the show. Yeah. Like rif- rifles and, you know, like th- that whole ending when they get to Miranda and they like, they're all loaded up. And then at the end, and when they have the showdown with the Reavers, you know, they've got shotguns. Crossbows. Jane's got that yeah, <laughs> weird crossbows with, you know, with like a, a light on the side that shows you how many, I guess, bullets you have left or arrows you have left. And, you know, Jane's got that giant gun. I, I feel like you almost see more weaponry in this than you did mm-hmm. in the other one in the show. It wouldn't surprise me that the show used paintball guns or Nerf guns and just kind of changed them a little bit and spray painted them just to save some money. Uh, maybe. Right. Do you guys have any interest in knowing the lyrics for the Fruity Odie Bar commercial song? Absolutely. Fruity Odie, <laughs> Fruity Odie Bars make a man out of a mouse. Fruity Odie Bars make you bust out of your hot blouse. Eat them all the time. They will blow your mind. I feel so ashamed. I haven't eaten Fruity Odie Bars. Fruity Odie Bars. Fruity Odie Bars. That's it. That's based on the that's based on the Mr. Sparkle commercial from The Simpsons. Oh, Mr. Sparkle! Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that, awesome. that was one of the notes. Yeah, <laughs> I I feel like I feel like in Japan that would be a real tagline for something like "Feel shame if you have not eaten," you know, Mr. Bar. <laughs> <laughs> so we both we all like this film, but I'm going to give you some critics that don't. 
Uh, USA Today film critic Claudia Pugh wrote that the characters are generally uninteresting and one dimensional and the futuristic Western style plot grows tedious. Uh, <laughs> yeah. De- no way, Derek Alley of Variety declared that the film bounces around to sometimes memorable effect, but rarely soars. Uh, yeah. Whatever, dude. <laughs> I always like giving the uh, the alternative to how we believe. <laughs> I feel like this is exactly what a science fiction fan wants. Like I said, this is their Han Solo fantasy. This is everything you want in a, f- a film focused on this the smuggler bounty hunter. You know this this guy with a heart of gold, this Western kind of hero, which is what Han Solo was. This is it. This is everything you might want in that. Great stakes. The villain is phenomenal in Chiwetel Joe Four, including not just his acting, but his dialogue, his lines, his motivations, and what they're fighting for in the end. It's just really, really good. And anybody who doesn't like it, I feel like doesn't really like science fiction or has a problem with it. Just goes <laughs> well, now that you brought up lines, by the way, why don't we go through some favorite quotes? So I'm sure you all have them. Give me a quote that you like from the movie. He killed me, Mal. He killed me, Mal. He killed me with a. Sword. I'm not a huge Mister. I'm not a huge Mister. Universe fan. I mean, that's a good line, but I'm just like. Uh, I love I, that uh, line. I, I love it, it. It was so weird. I think he says after that. Yeah, I mean, uh, let me give you a couple. Uh, I aim to misbehave. Oh, that's a classic. That's so good. A <laughs> fucking great line. Yeah, uh, brought up earlier the the whole sex conversation. You know, you know, screw this. I've got something to live for now. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff, and honestly, if I have to go with. You know, a combining of an incredible line and just moment. It's it's my turn. You know, my oh, turn. Right, period. Right. And then jumping through jumping through the hatch is incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, it's a good moment. Um, I like the I like the uh, exchange of dialogue going out going off the sex talk was when. Kaylee's like going on a year now. He had nothing. Yep. Now they just weren't run on batteries. Like, I can't know that. It's oh, like yeah. I'm just going to hear it a little more. Like more, that stuff. Yeah. That was funny. Very funny. Yeah. Uh, I liked River. Are you okay? I swallowed a bug. Uh, But most of my lines are all the operative lines. Like I love his whole thing about, I don't murder children. I do if I have to. Right. Like I'm trying to make a more perfect world and then you're going to live there. I'm not going to live there. I'm a monster. I know that what I do is evil. I have no illusions. Like I think that entire monologue, just when I watched that, when I was younger, that like, I think this is one of like the the roles that cemented like I want to be an actor when I was younger, because like that di- that monologue has always stuck through with me forever. That a villain can be interesting and also not necessarily like what they do was just like like I thought it was always phenomenal. So a lot of his lines are great. He is one of the best written villains in a movie in, in, in yep. all time because here you've got this guy. That is essentially, if you want to say a patriot or a believer to the nth degree, he'll do whatever it takes for his employer because he believes in them so much. He's a terrible person. He kills, he maims, kills kids. The second he is shown that his belief system is not real and is based on lies, he gives up. Like he just he he just says uh, I I will not be a problem for you anymore because I don't believe in what, what that was all about anymore. And like, how often do you see that in so many other movies after Mal, you know, puts the sword through his, uh, his scabbard and sticks him on there. 
he would have attacked Mal one more time, yep. you know, and Mal would have thrown him off the bridge. And it because you, that yeah, moment. because you can't have moment. a hero just up and shoot somebody. They have to, you know, they have to defend themselves at the end. That's why they always have that moment. Well, I feel like you could still have Mal turn around. No, but you know that's what I mean. within character. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I was going to say Mal, Mal is that character that could still shoot him one last time, but he doesn't because I think he knows like this is going to kill you worse yep. than me killing you is I'm going to show you what all your fervor was about. It was all bullshit. And they don't do that moment where the, instead you get a moment at the end where the villain of the entire movie and the hero of the movie have a conversation and walk away. It, it's amazing. It's totally well, that amazing. That goes to one of the lines I like in the, mo- in the movie from book who goes, I don't care what you believe in, just believe in it. That goes to, that goes to yeah. that, which I, I like that line quite a bit. I also like going to that point, John, of what, at the end scene when he's telling him that, you know, do you, He's trying to tell Mal, the operative, like, do you know what your sin is, Mal? And he's like, ah, hell, I'm a fan of all seven, but right now I'm going to go with Wrath. Right? Like, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, there's there's hundreds, there's t- dozens of lines, hundreds, dozens of lines that from this movie that I can just go off on. Um, and if you want to keep go- doing lines, guys, that's fine. I like. Uh, I, I just want to do one <laughs> go more. For it. I just want to do one more, and, and then I'll hand it off to Butler. It's not even a line necessarily. It's just the way he reads it is when the operative says young miss. <laughs> I love that in the beginning. <laughs> oh, when he's, when he's holding the blade down, waiting for the guy to fall on it. Yep. A- a- after he kills the guy, yeah. young miss. And you know, the other, the lady's like, like shaking. <laughs> I like when Zoe's talking to Jane and he, she's like, do you really think any of us are going to get through this? And it's the very end of the movie. Every, and he, Jane looks around and goes, well, uh, I might like, he's still afraid, but he thinks he's going to live. I think Jane is an awesome, like underrated character. I think he's, a voice of reason at times, but also a voice of absolute absurdity. Like he's just pure id, which sometimes yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. He oversteps and he oversteps at one point when, when he's talking about how many people you, you let die Died in the battle of serenity. Yep. Right. Yeah. And you're going to have to leave this room when Zoe tells him that. So yeah, nobody, but he's saying something that honestly they need to hear, yep. you know, in terms, you know, they can't get too self-righteous. Uh, so without any more lines, John, I'm going to open this up to you because you chose this film. And you're going to have to now defend yeah. why you think this is forgotten for people that are listening to this podcast episode. We'll help you out, but go ahead. you start. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah. So uh, I think it's forgotten because it is a 20 year old property that ended after one year. The film came out three years later and did not do well. And I think most people that know of it, were fans of the property that didn't do well. So like a lot of times, like you guys joke on your show, as a matter of fact, I think the last episode I heard you guys, you said that you always have friends that break on you. And it's, it's, it's me a it's lot of times. You, but, <laughs> but we don't, we don't get offended. It's fine. We love it, but yeah. Right. And, and, and I'm a big fan of your show, <laughs> but this one here, no, no, I'm saying like, so like, sometimes I'm like, why do they consider this forgotten? This might be one. I think that you're going to get some people saying, Oh no, it's not. But truly at this point, the generation of me and you field who were there a little bit older and even Butler who got into it, you know, he's younger than us. It's now past all that. Right. So now it's simply relying on somebody saying, I don't want to watch X on Netflix or whatever's on streaming to discover the show or the movie. If someone clicks on the description of the movie and reads it, they might not understand it. Especially if it, especially if it references the show, I don't know if, if they do or don't, but they might think it's too much of a commitment. I think it's just one of those things where time has swallowed it up a little bit. It doesn't help that I think Joss Whedon 
has kind of been swept under the rug and, you know, right or wrong, he's being swept under the rug. So maybe like his properties aren't being shined a light on anymore. Um, and most people nowadays who know that name know him from the Avengers, not Buffy mm-hmm. and Angel, not Dollhouse and Firefly. So I just think it's a case of time has kind of left it behind and it, it, it's a hard sell to get people back into mm-hmm. it now. You know, if the show suddenly uh, got reintroduced on, I don't know if it's on Netflix or anything, but if it got reintroduced and like, like pushed, like it's back on Netflix, you know, number one on Netflix. And when you finish a show, go to the movie, maybe there'd be a chance that we would get that traction again, but that doesn't seem to. Have yeah, happened. no. Brother, what do you think? Why do you think it's forgotten? I think John's right. I think I'm the last generation that like Firefly or watched it in its prime. I was in high school when it was on and that's about the last, you know, people in middle school or elementary school aren't watching Firefly when it was actually on. I think people like my age and I know Elise watched it when she was in high school. That was the the end of it. And that was Joss Whedon in his prime. He was doing Buffy and Angel. Um, Dollhouse, I didn't really care about, but <laughs> he's doing Buffy and Angel. And now... It's not on streaming. It's a universal property. Why is it not on the poorly named Peacock, which we always say should be Universal Plus? Mm-hmm. Why is it not on their streaming? And like John said, it is on Hulu. But if it's on Hulu, so should Serenity. And you like this, watch this. And it should be a cyclical thing. And it's not. It's not anywhere. And the fact that Joss Whedon is a, a bad boy in Hollywood now, and like he's, he's getting like... He's getting swept under the rug because he's a big jerk. Uh, and his his jerkiness is is being publicized, uh, and that does not look good for a person, especially in his position. That was a champion of the downtrodden. That was his whole thing. He was a champion of women. He was a champion of of the the under talked about the underdog, and you poop on them and talk bad about them and bully them, and you know, you know that's not saying like you shouldn't still love his work. I still. Uh, Lisa's rewatching Buffy right now. I'm loving it, but it does shade anything that like, hey, you should watch this Joss, Joss Wheaton thing. Anybody who doesn't really know him or already have seen stuff are going to go, nah, man, no, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. Mm-hmm. It's like a black mark on his films and his television shows, I feel right now. And if you just know from Avengers, like John said, this is not Avengers. No, yeah. If, if you if you if you watch Avengers and like even age of Ultron. You're like, Oh, I like this Whedon guy. Let's go back and watch Serenity. You're going to go, what, what happened? Yeah, He what made good this? movies it's, once it's in a while. So- <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah. I agree with both what you're saying. Um, Fireflies on Hulu. I think if you said it, it's on I Hulu. did. Yeah. Yeah. The only person that's going to help Joss Whedon is himself and he has to be humbled and complicit and he has to come through and apologize and he has to, he has to make amends. Will he? Who knows? No, uh, but but you know <laughs> he I doubled down in an article that came out a few did. months ago. <laughs> I know he's, but you know, but he's extremely talented. You can't. Uh, That's you know, true. He's definitely talented. He and and it's unfortunate that you know we're not going to be able to see other stuff from him but like that's oh well move a life moves on and if that's how you're going to be that's how you're going to be i will say that uh to john's point and to your point mike about you know the generational gap i think unless you're like into sci-fi or like you're into stories like this you're probably not going to catch this movie you might seek it out i mean because anybody who loves sci-fi if you meet somebody 21 22 they tell you, oh, I love sci-fi. I love this. I love that. You're, oh, you should check out Serenity. They're going to True. get that recommendation. Yeah. But unless, right. but if you're not, then no, you're no one's going to recommend it to you. So it's not one of those films. So I think that's probably why maybe it's forgotten for certain people. Do you think there's a lack of science fiction in general, and that also hurts hurts it? 
I think everything's cyclical. I think, uh, you know, we, we get sci-fi, but a lot of the sci-fi we get now is post-apocalyptic, like based on the young, young adult novel books, like the right. Divergent series, the, the Mockingbird ones. Uh, I can't, what is that? What are Hunger Games, Hunger Games. like, like those type of ones. That's just where I think sci-fi is right now. I mean, before the podcast, John and I were talking about For All Mankind, which I love, you know, but like that, I know that that's like a drama, a sci-fi drama. I think honestly though, Butler and John, I think what really hurts sci-fi is that there is no sci-fi channel anymore. Um, you know, I know yeah. that what it became towards the end was a joke because it was just started to be like Sharknado films, but there is no place for sci-fi, at least like you have the chiller network for horror. And Shutter, yeah. Have, yeah. Shutter, excuse me. And, and you know, like stuff like that, but you don't have anything for sci-fi, which I think hurts. Look, let, let, let me throw this out there. Cause I do it on our show all the time Tubi. <laughs> if you don't know what Tubi is, go check Tubi out. And there is a very large category for everything. And sci-fi mm-hmm. is one of them. And it's not just cheapo sci-fi movies. It's, it's a game sci-fi movies. It's 50 sci-fi movies. So you're right. You might not be able to, you might not have like a shutter for sci-fi, but you have places that you can go, you know, don't, when you go to Netflix, like look under the category mm-hmm. sometimes, like don't just go to that. What are the top 10 things, you know, go down, dig down deep. You will find stuff and don't just go to the pay things. Check out Tubi, check out Pluto. You'll find a lot of good things on and there. And if Tubi and Pluto are listening, we will do sponsorships and we will do. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Um, all right. Before we get out of here, Mike, why don't you let everyone know where they can find us? Uh, we're uh, Forgotten Cinema. You can find us on ForgottenCinemaPodcast.com or ForgottenEntertainment.com as we are part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. While you're there, check out all the other great podcasts and videos we have there, including On the QT, which was hosted by uh, our uh, guest, John, right there. Did you forget his name? No, I, <laughs> I remembered his name. <laughs> and uh, yeah, like you say at the beginning, check us out on all the podcasts. Uh, social media platforms or the lobby and let us know on Facebook and let us know what you think about serenity. If you think it's forgotten, why you think it's forgotten. And if you think sci-fi needs a home, it does. John, Uh, take it away. What's John going to say? Where you can find his podcast. (laughs) Oh yeah, John, let everyone know where I can find you. Sorry. I don't know what you're doing. Oh, all right. I was lost. (laughs) So, uh, I host a show called the pint. Uh, a pop culture podcast. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at the pint podcast. You can also find us on Facebook, the pint podcast. Uh, just type that in. We have a uh, Patreon, two fifty a month. You can get all kinds of extra episodes that the, uh, the lay person doesn't get uh, patreon.com slash the pint. And we come out weekly. We just hit 250 episodes. So we're, we're moving along and uh, we do series with these guys here. As uh, Mike had mentioned earlier, forgotten February, every February, uh, these guys guest on all of our episodes. We just did a, uh, a whole month of it uh, in February where they came on and we basically did this show on my show. And then we've got four more episodes coming through the rest of 2022 that are going to be interspersed through the year. Uh, so it's going to be a good time. Yes, we always have a good time, John, mm-hmm. uh, you know, hanging out, going up there, hanging out with you, doing the show. Um so yeah, no, we, we enjoy it. And uh, thank you for being on the show with us today. Uh, yeah. You thanks know. for having me on. This is uh, exciting. I get that. Seeing that list was, it's huge. was daunting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's a lot of, it's a lot of stuff to choose. You should see us when we're sitting here trying to figure out what our next season is going to be. We're just choosing back and forth and we're like, Oh, I, I, I went through it once I went through it real quick and I went, okay, these are things we did. I don't have to worry about that. But then there were still like 600 
like possible choices. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like looking at it going, and then you're like, you sent it and you're like, uh, you know, let me know as soon as you can. I'm like, as soon as I can, I got to go home and read this. I need a bookmark. <laughs> I, I was, there was no pressure, no pressure. We add to it like every week. <laughs> Yeah, we always add to it. I'm always Good adding Lord. to it. No, no, I forgot. I had to add something to the day and I forgot. So I'm kind It'll of probably come back on the podcast and then when I'm editing, I'll add to it. There you go. There you go. All right. Well, uh, thanks again, John. And join us next week where we'll be doing the 1992 film Digstown. Have you seen this film? I have not. I've only heard of the title. Oh, excellent. Excellent. So, yes, that's James Wood, Louis Gossett Jr., Bruce Stern. Um, I always remember this movie growing up. So I'm, I'm kind of really excited to watch it again and kind of dive into it because I don't really know too many of the facts. Here's a problem we're going to have. Yes. It's a 90s movie, which means we'll never find it. That's true. So hopefully we find it. Until then, everyone have a great week. I am Mike Field. I'm Mike Butler. And this has been Forgotten Cinema. Hi, I'm Shamar Griffith, codename Comic Shams. And I'm Andrew Tejada, codename Arate. I'm a blurred with a love for artwork and comics and animation. And I'm a writer and blurred with a love for pretty much the same things. We grew up together and spent much of our formative years watching and talking about DC superhero shows and content. In fact, we still do. Every episode, we will discuss a DC production, compare it to its original source material, and share our thoughts on the adaptation. We've enjoyed our conversations these past couple of decades, and we think you will too. This month, we're checking out New Earths as we hop across the DC-verse on... Yeah, another DC animated podcast, part of the Forgotten Entertainment family.